Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Stake Sports Podcast. Your host, Adam Luckett, coming to you on a beautiful Wednesday evening, May 23rd, just getting ready for a long Memorial Day weekend. As always, joined by my producer, co-host, let's do it all, man, Brandon Farmer. Farmer, how you doing? What's up, buddy? What we got on, what we got on tap today? We got a lot we're going to talk about today. First off, uh, saw a little Justify won the Preakness, now has a chance at the Triple Crown. Um, how'd, how'd your picks go last week, Farmer? Uh, didn't do too good at Pimlico, but uh, I won a little m- bit of money betting Santa Anita. So, yeah, it was a. Uh, it'd be nice to just have one one race day where it's not a complete sloppy mess out there where you can do a little bit of handicapping. Yeah, that the track was an absolute mess, a bunch of fog, and then I don't know if you saw some of the videos of the infield out there in Pimlico. That yeah, was, they looked pretty rowdy. I mean, yeah. I thought Churchill was a muddy mess, but man, those people wrestling in the mud and throwing each other around spilling beers on people i think i think the pimlico infield would put churchill to shame for sure yeah pimlico gets a like it's a bad rap a lot of the times but that infield was definitely bringing the noise for sure and of course justify one and belmont goes off a week from saturday and i don't know if you've seen it or yet but gronkowski's horse is actually going to be in this one yep he's back and he's going off at 69 to one yep on june 9th yeah, Six, that, nine. somebody, somebody, some sports uh, book is making a little joke on everybody there. So I thought that was pretty funny, and uh, I get, I think we'll get more into that race next week. Hofberg's my early pick. There we go, Hofberg. And uh, what's his odds? What's his time. odds right now? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen the odds yet, but that's, that's who I like coming off the derby. So what do you think about an eight, nine, ten horse field? I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. There's usually more entries um, for the Belmont, but it's a mile and a half, so. It takes a real special horse to be entered in a mile and a half race, so I don't know. Yeah, I think I think eight, ten, eleven horses, probably about what you'll see. All right, and we'll see if Bob Baffert can do it twice in three years. Bring get on, bring another crown to his trophy case, um, and then also going on, Louisville lost a transfer, another one, uh, another player off the team, and Lance Thomas, a guy who barely played last year. Now, if you look at their roster, uh, they're really I think they're down to seven, eight guys that are scholarship guys. It's gonna looking like it might be a rough first year for Chris Mack. So that's something definitely to keep an eye on. The NBA playoffs are heating up. Rockets got a big win last night. Huge game between the Celtics and Cavs uh, tonight. Uh, again, we're recording on Wednesday. So uh, I believe most of you all will listen on Thursday. So you probably already know the results of that. But anyway, setting up to where we're going to have some exciting, hopefully, basketball, playoff basketball to watch this weekend. And then uh, we had the NBA draft combine last week. Uh, that's what everybody's been talking about this week. So. Those decisions are coming down the pipe. It sounded like Villanova's going to lose that Dante DiVincenzo and Omari Spellman. At least that's what the buzz is right now. So that's likely the preseason number one team is probably going to fall out of the top five and maybe even the top ten. And then, of course, Kentucky has got their guys that have to make their decisions. I saw the other day Texas A&M lost their center, Tyler Davis. So Texas A&M is going to be losing a lot of people off this year's team. They're going to be after really having a solid team this year or what should have been a solid team uh they're going to be total rebuild mode next year so after once we get these decisions in we'll start to really see what what we can expect from college basketball next year and we'll get into more of that once we find out of the decisions and of course pj washington had an instagram post last night that got everybody fired up with which was him in a uk jersey yelling and it said moon so Take it as you wish, we'll, I, but we'll find out very soon what him, Wenyan Gabriel, and Jared Vanderbilt want to do. And then on the college football front, which we're going to get into a lot this week on the pod, uh, we had some 
some interesting QB decisions. Hunter Johnson at Clemson has decided to transfer. He was a five-star quarterback at Indiana, played sparingly last year as a freshman. But we've already talked about this guy um, that's going to re- that's going to make some major noise at Clemson this year. Early on the par, that's Trevor Lawrence. Expect him to be the starter sooner rather than later, and that's a big reason why Johnson is transferring. Now the big news is that he's maybe headed to Purdue, and Jeff Braun may be getting a stud of a quarterback. And I think that's got a lot of people excited to see what he could do with somebody that talented as he's kind of you know one of the hotter names in college football coaching right now. And then LSU picked up a huge transfer in Joe Burrow, the uh, Ohio State transfer, grad transfer. He's got two years remaining to play. He was a guy that really tore it up as a backup. When he got the chance to play, he put up some solid numbers. But he's a pocket passer, and he didn't really fit that Ohio State scheme that Urban Meyer likes to run. He likes to have a dual-threat quarterback. So he graduated. He had a really good spring game, but Ohio State's going to roll with Dwayne Haskins, who's that traditional kind of dual-threat player. So Burrow is leaving. Um, it got leaked out. I thought that he might have a little bit more interest. I know his he had family went to Nebraska. Thought maybe Dan Mullen at Florida might be interested with, in him due to his Urban Myers ties, but none, none of those, neither Scott Frost or Mullen, decided to you know pick him up. So it came down to LSU and Cincinnati. He chose LSU. It's really going to be a big year for Ed Orgeron. He's firmly on the hot seat, and LSU. They're a program that we talk about it with Kentucky to some point that they have to find a quarterback. LSU has been a quarterback away seemingly for the last decade. And so he's going to, LSU is going to be a big year for them. We'll talk about them more as the summer goes on. They're a team, I think, that's really on the edge of maybe competing to maybe falling off a cliff, kind of like Tennessee last year, where the people thought they could compete around that eight, nine win mark, maybe compete for a division title. And then you saw what happened to them. Some bad things happened. They fell off a cliff, and of course they open up the season with a big game against Miami at a neutral site there in a Cowboy Stadium. So a big year for Ed Orgeron, uh, fired his offensive coordinator in the offseason. Now he's bringing in a new quarterback. So we'll see how that will work out for him. So that was, those were kind of the big storylines for the week. And then we had uh, some Mike Slide, the former SEC commissioner, passed away. And he was a guy that was really kind of big on getting the playoff. And so he's been kind of remembered by a bunch of people this week then of course my guy Larry Culpepper is no more the, the creator of the playoff came out and said <laughs> Dr. Pepper's not going to do that commercial anymore so I was pretty heartbroken by yeah, that that's that's a bummer that was a classic yeah he had the war advisor been in the playoff he was he was he was a legend so we'll, we'll definitely miss old Larry but um that's really all we had from this past week. It was really kind of a busy week, farmer. I what I wanna say right here is get used to the busy weeks because it's gonna we're about to enter the dog days of summer until football season starts. Well we're about at June, ninety nine days until the first full weekend of college football. So we're almost there, but we still got three long months ahead of us. And so anyway, today on the pod, what we're going to get into, we're going to get into some week one lines here in a little bit in the next segment. The, the, all the week one lines came out. Kentucky opened up. They're laying 20 points against Central Michigan in the opener. I believe that's going to be the second largest they've been favored over a Power 5 team in the Mark Stoops era. So I, I think that's pretty significant. And then there, there's a bunch of other ones we're going to get into later. Um, so if you're not already, please do us a favor. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. Check us out on SoundCloud. Or SoundCloud. SoundCloud. If you're anti iPhone, 
and uh, just let us know anything, any suggestions. Let's hit, hit up our mentions. You can find us Steak AF on Twitter. You can find me Adam Luckett at Adam Luckett B O S. You can find Farmer B Farmer eighteen. Um, this past week, I had a new article for Cats Illustrated where I talk about some wrinkles that UK's coaching staff might use this season. So make sure you check it out. Um, expect a lot of wildcat formation and maybe even some defensive stuff that they might try to do different this fall. So uh, we'll, we'll get in. We'll get into the week one lines right here. First, first off, I'll, I'll just before we get into the meat and potatoes, I'll just start by saying some of the ones I'm really looking forward to um, that really caught my eye. Lane Kiffin, week one, goes to Oklahoma, and the Florida Atlantic Owls take on the Sooners there in Norman. The Sooners are laying 23 points, but really what gets me excited about this game, it's two of the better offensive play callers in Kiffin and Lincoln Riley. And with Oklahoma breaking in a new quarterback and Florida Atlantic having a bunch of pieces back on offense, that's a lot of points for Oklahoma to be laying. And really two two spreads that really caught my eye were Oregon State going to Ohio State. Ohio State is laying 38 points against a Power 5 team that's really really crazy and then Louisville playing Alabama in Orlando in the opener Saturday night ABC Louisville's a program that's won at least eight games I believe it was five or six years in a row so a really you know successful power five program so to speak and Alabama just casually laying four touchdowns and a hook 28 and a half points that's just it's really kind of incredible um, and then I looked up a stat today. Alabama's had, I believe, six neutral site home openers under Nick Saban. They've won all of them by double digits. So that's going to be a tall task for Louisville as they'll get to see if Tua is the real deal after that national championship performance. And Alabama's, of course, the easy pick for preseason number one. If you're looking for some upsets, some upsets alerts might be Middle Tennessee is a six-point dog going to Vanderbilt in the opener. Middle Tennessee has a really good quarterback in Brent Stockstill and a, a really salty defense. They're a team that could compete in the Conference USA. And, of course, Vanderbilt uh, is figured to be one of the worst teams in the SEC this fall. So that's maybe a money line, parl- money line play you want to get into. And then Troy hosts Boise State, and they're a 10.5-point dog, home dog there in that opening game. Neil Brown, of course, has pulled off a big upset uh, every year there he's been at Troy or come close to pulling off big ones and of course the big one was LSU last year so that those are some games I would keep an eye on from a playing standpoint but we've also got some other ones here that uh that I think that I really like first off Washington plus three and a half against Auburn uh in, in Atlanta Auburn has lost their last two games in Atlanta the new Atlanta Falcons stadium they lost to, of course, Georgia in that SEC championship game and then lost to UCF there in that Peach Bowl. So they could be looking at three straight losses in that stadium. And I like Washington. Washington, I think, is a team that can make the playoffs. So uh, I, I, I would take the dog there. West Virginia, minus seven. Neutral site in Charlotte against Tennessee. We talked about Tennessee, how I said take the under on them. I think the Mountaineers are a team that can really make some noise this year. Then Michigan is a two-point dog going to Notre Dame, an old rivalry they've played hundreds of times in the past. Big year for Michigan. They landed Shea Patterson, the Ole Miss transfer. Notre Dame loses uh, those two big offensive linemen that went in the first round, lose their running back Josh Adams, and their defensive coordinator Mike Elgo left for Texas A&M. It's a big game for Harbaugh. I like Michigan there. And then Texas is a 10-and-a-half 
point favorite. It's a neutral site, but it's a game happening in Maryland. Of course, they're taking on the Maryland Turpins. Maryland has some nice-looking dual-threat quarterbacks, um, and they're a team that's on the rise there in the Big Ten under DJ Durkin. So, but a lot of th- a lot of people expecting big things from Tom Herman this year as a, he enters his second year there in Austin. And a lot of people think he can compete for a Big 12 championship this year. And then, of course, the big games later that weekend, Sunday, Miami minus three against LSU, a game we just touched on. I really like that Miami team, and I'm kind of a little bit down on LSU, so I would say take Miami there. And then on Monday night, Virginia Tech goes to Tallahassee to take on Florida State. Knowles are a a six-and-a-half-point favorite right now, and Willie Taggart's opener. Um, That's two really good coaches going at it, and Justin Fuente and Taggart. So that would be an exciting Monday night Labor Day game. So really, Farmer, that's just something to promise. Get ready for football season. It's only 99 days until we get to see college game day and Lee Corso make a pick. College basketball continues to get messier. As I just check in the tweet machine here, an exclusive from Sports Illustrated, an undercover FBI agent who is running point on the investigation through uh, the college basketball, you know, thing was uh, allegedly misusing government funds on gambling, food, and beverages. Oh, it's just been a total mess, man. They can't get anything. Everything from Sean Miller. Getting ESPN coming out with that article on Sean Miller and that turning out to be kind of false, and then them having that weird press conference to Patino and all his issues—it's just been a total, total mess. This whole, this whole entire thing. But the the train rolls on there. It just—if you don't have—if you don't have the leadership at the top, if you don't have a governing body that has rules and policies uh, in place that are upheld and, and you know, followed up on. that They have people that are keeping an eye on things. That if you give somebody the smallest bit of power and no supervision, I mean, people just, just run wild, man. It's, it's really sad what's happened in college basketball. All these people, I guess, thought they were going to be able to get away with this forever, but I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's sad, especially here in a city like Louisville where – College basketball is what I grew up on, and it's you know it's it's what's big news around here. So when you see all these people and one of our teams locally involved in in the heart of it, it's I don't know it's it's tough to watch from a college basketball fan perspective. Yeah, from an NCAA standpoint, they are they're always the ones that are being you know hammered for being sloppy and um, unfair and all that kind of stuff. But then to see how the FBI you know fumbles it and looking at this case we're seeing more and more stuff you're like is this even a crime is this why is the fbi even involved in this um at some some point you want to think yeah that it's good but other points you're just like it's just head scratching but this almost miami had that nevin shapiro thing where he was paying for recruits and giving taking them to strip clubs and all that stuff and this ncaa had an issue with that where they were going to hammer miami but the guy involved in the case was 
while he was investigating it, he got in trouble doing something I can't remember. And so really the NCAA kind of had to throw it out. That's the first thing that came to my mind when I saw that uh, Sports Illustrated exclusive. So I'm sure more is going to be breaking about that, but it's just been a total mess. And now now you're seeing that maybe some programs might have been hammered from it, and then if nothing comes of it, if you're like, of course, Louisville had some other stuff, but if you're another program like USC who had to sit out, who had one of their best players sit out for the season this year, and that that could be all for nothing now if the FBI just totally you know shit their craps their pants because of this one agent. It's just really kind of amazing. Maybe college basketball will never be fixed. Who knows? Maybe it's just going to be like this forever. But Did you see the new uh, see the new NFL anthem rule. Yeah, what is it? If they don't, if they kneel, it's a what a penalty or suspension. Well, they it, they're not a ele- yeah. There's going to be fines for any players or or any um, anyone involved with the team that comes out on the field that takes a knee. But they do have the option to stay back in the locker room, which I think is you know I think it's a pretty it's a pretty simple efficient policy. Uh, it gives the guys. I'm going to put my personal politics aside. I think that it's. I think it's good for the league. If you're out there, it looks bad. I mean, they had to do it just from their from a ratings and from a business standpoint. I think they had to make the change because there's no doubt the NFL was losing viewers over this. So you know, you put the guys that that don't want to stand back in a room where no cameras are around, nobody's going to see them, and and you know whatever. I don't agree with that, but if that's what they want to do, that's fine. It's their choice. And then you know everybody who's out uh, who's out on the field stands for the anthem and you know play football it's it it should never have been as big of a story as it was really my thing with it is like nfl's losing viewers but they're still dominating like more people tuned in for the draft than will will watch the stanley cup so it's like they're still owning um that that whole corner that whole sports corner but that's a big issue and that that you know that caused a lot of you know damage to their brand so they had to fix fix it somehow and it was obvious the owners didn't want their players doing that so I'm I mean I'm a little I understand they had to do something and so I have no problem with them protesting I just think the NFL just wants them to protest in another way so whether that's right or wrong I guess we'll see I'll be interested to see if if this will continue because you know of course Kaepernick who started all that he's out this will be his second full year out of the league entirely so and now you're seeing there's a guy named Eric Reed who was a safety for the 49ers, who you know could play. It was an okay safety. He's not like a Pro Bowler or anything like that. Well, now I believe he's suing the NFL now because he believes he can't get you know no team will play him because he kneeled for the anthem, and like he he had an interview with the Bengals and then the Bengals didn't offer him. And after that happened, he's suing them. So you still got some of that stuff going on. So I don't understand how someone can sue. The NFL, if teams choose not to have him on the roster, I mean, what like if if people just went out for job interviews and they didn't get hired? I mean, would you? Yeah, he's not going to win the case. Would it's you just, be able to take legal action? It's just that whole. It's just a bad look for the NFL, and Goodell hasn't been the greatest commissioner. But my thing with the NFL, it's still the most popular. They still have fantasy football. They still. Have the most, they still have the Super Bowl. They still have the most people watching it. They have a whole day to themselves. That Sunday, nothing else is going on. Everybody's watching the NFL. And their games are still, they're, they're three hours, three hours, 15 minutes. And you can just block off a window on Sunday, every Sunday, and you can watch your NFL team play. And now with the Red Zone channel, you can watch, you know, pretty much for your fantasy team. And with gambling, I think it's even going to get even more popular. I, 
they shouldn't fight it, but just imagine gambling in an NFL stadium where you could go and bet, bet on quarters, bet on if you're, you know, bet on if Tom Brady's going to throw three or more touchdown passes in that game. So it it's a sport that's, you know, they've got definitely issues with the CTE and then this anthem issue. There's definitely some big issues with it, but to me, there's been a lot of talk about how football's not going to last forever. I don't see any signs of it slowing down. I think the game is changing. I think you're seeing how the NFL are adopting like more college offenses and it, it's becoming a more of a pass-happy league. You're seeing more teams spread it out and just throw the ball around the yard. You look at the last two Super Bowls with Patriots and the Falcons and then Patriots-Eagles. Those were the two best teams in the NFL those seasons and they were throwing the ball around the yard and they were scoring. the teams were scoring a bunch of points. I think, you know, we've heard them talk about how college offenses stink and how the quarterbacks come in and they're not ready to play and all that stuff. I think the game is changing. It's becoming a more of a basketball on grass where you're throwing it around the yard and you're putting points on the board. So I think that's kind of changing. I think that's going to help with some of those issues, those injuries, where everybody's not lining up and just slamming their heads against each other as it becomes more of a spread-it-out league. So I think they they definitely have their issues right now, but I think they're working their way through them, and I think they're going to, in the long run, they're going to be fine. And, of course, uh, they're still lining their pockets with all that cash because people are still going to these games. But uh, that's that's definitely been an interesting rule. I didn't, me personally, I didn't think they were going to come out and do that, but I knew they were going to have to do something. So, and definitely the timing was a little bit interesting. Why do it in the middle of May? Um, not sure, but I guess it's just how it worked out. But and of course in the NFL they got. I don't know if you follow this Brady Belichick stuff at all, but that stuff has been really interesting about whether they're not on the same page Belichick wanted to not tr- or not maybe he wanted Brady to retire maybe or he wanted you know he didn't want them to trade Jimmy Garoppolo so that's definitely and I know the media's been all over that so that's definitely something um to keep an eye on as we they'll figure forward. it out the hoodie always figures it out yeah I, I just don't know like how long do you think Brady can play like what is he 41 years old I I think he can play for a long time I mean I I think that He's. I mean, he hasn't lost. I mean, he hasn't lost a, a step in his game at all, really. I mean, he he, his diet is is the stuff of legend. I mean, he he, he eats no caffeine. He eats no sugar. It's like the whole food plant based diet. He looks avocados. Yeah, he looks, he looks young. I mean, he looks light footed out there. I think he can play for a long time. Yeah, he's forty years old. He'll be forty one at the start of next season. I think we're seeing some really kind of incredible stuff with him and LeBron. Like LeBron has been in the league since 2003, I believe. So this is his 15th year, and he's as good as he's ever been. We're seeing, like, I think we're seeing, I guess, science has come so far, or we're just getting smarter about what to put in our bodies. For Mike Smith is about to win, possibly win the Triple Crown. He's 52 years old. Yeah, so I think we're – Not that we're comparing yeah. the NBA and the but NFL, still, and like, an NFL for a jockey, to riding a horse. Like, but. for a jockey, when, is, when do they fade out usually? Uh, I mean, it's it's usually. I mean, I know early, Pat Day and Jerry, Jerry Bailey they r- r- rode a long time. Yeah, but. some. I mean, some of these guys will go. Like you look at a guy, like Calvin Burrell. How old is he? He he's older than Mike Smith. I'm pretty sure he's still riding. He came out of retirement, or he was retired for a little bit, and then came back. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like we're getting it's not po- super uncommon, mm-hmm. but still, I mean, it. You you know, you got to be in pretty decent shape to be able to handle a a creature that size going, you know, 50, 60 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. 
But uh, but we're seeing, I guess, we're just going to have to get used to this, I think, athletes being able to play longer if they're good enough because they're, if you just take care of your body, you can, like, they're proving it that you can play a very, very long time. And you're seeing with Brady, he's going to, there's going to be NFL coaches younger than him moving forward. So I'll be very interested to see how long he can play because he's still spinning and he's playing at a very high level. But he's just, he's the best of all time. And then, of course, LeBron, he's the best of all time, too. Some of the stuff he's doing lately is just remarkable. He had, I believe, 45 last night and it, or the other night against Boston in game four, and it didn't even seem like it as he's chasing another title. But uh, here, moving forward, Farmer, one thing I want to get to here in the next segment is the Jeff Braun, Bobby Petrino dilemma. Uh, it's something that keep, it's keep being brought up. I know Louisville's expanding their stadium, and it's going to be big for them. They're going to need to sell some seats. And I believe they're, it was supposed to be a 10,000 expansion. I believe it dropped down to 6,000. So really a big year coming up for Louisville um, in both sports. You got Chris Mack in his first season at the Yum Center, and it's coming off a year where uh, ticket sales kind of struggle for the basketball team because – it was just it was just a weird year, and some of those games you were looking at, and there was nobody in the crowd. And then at the end of the, the season last year for Louisville football, I know they sold a bunch of tickets, but people weren't going there in November when they were playing Syracuse in Virginia. There was a bunch of empty seats, and so I, that's the big thing I think with Petrino is will the fans if Louisville gets off to a rough start, will the fans just to, totally turn on him? Because I think they're really upset about they had Lamar Jackson and they really just didn't cash in. But which really goes back to the point of what is cashing in, what it should the realistic expectations be for a program like Louisville playing in a big conference for the first time? Is it where they expect to win division titles, expect to beat Clemson and Florida State, or is it okay to finish third, fourth in that division and win eight, nine games a year? And it's, I think the worry there is they'll never have a talent like Lamar Jackson again if you couldn't cash in then when will you be able to cash in? So we're going we're gonna to get into that more here in this next segment. Again, thanks for listening, and make sure you're following us on Twitter at AdamLuckAtBOS, at BFarmer18, and at StakeAF. Here, uh, here locally, farmer uh, Louisville, city of Louisville is about to get top golf. Uh, but we yeah, had seen big buzz about that in the news about the yeah. the residents of the city of Hurstbourne. They're having like a uh, a meeting about that tonight, I think. Yeah, I think uh, they want to move it out to a or that their proposal is to not have it there. By basically, it's by a mall in Louisville, and they're just putting it there, and it's basically an old Sears building. But uh, there's, a, of course, a neighborhood, though, right next up to it, and they're worried about, I guess, it being a bar and music playing late at night. Yeah, and I saw some uh, their neighborhood. some people with some like alternative proposals. I, I know like they talked about putting a gate up uh, to the city of Hurstbourne, and 
basically the city said they didn't want to do that because there's so much through traffic um, that goes through the the city of Hurstbourne there between you know Hurstbourne, Shelbyville Road, and Taylorsville Road that uh, basically the city is acknowledging that that area of town is kind of a cluster. But um, you know, I mean, I don't really see how how big of an impact having a top golf over there could actually make on that neighborhood. I think it's just a, maybe more of a fact that a lot of the residents over there don't understand what it is, or they've never seen one or never been to one, but there's plenty of spots around town. I mean, I, I have faith that they'll eventually get it done. Um, but I did see that the, uh, PR firm that is representing, uh, the uh res the, the residents uh, that are protesting the top golf going in is uh everybody's favorite pr firm the boxcar <laughs> pr firm so which i thought that was an interesting tape but they just can't uh, see and i think other than the the residents of hurstbourne the rest of the city is pretty pretty upset that this the wheels haven't already been put into motion to get this thing built so i don't know those people seem to uh seem to not have many fans in the city of louisville yeah the only complaint i really have about it is that traffic out there is kind of miserable already and adding that it's going to make it even more miserable but it's got a big parking lot and it's you know it's kind of a centrally located place for the city of louisville so really my only issue with it would have been in traffic but i guess i don't know that neighbors just it's something that they don't i guess they don't they just don't know about and they're worried about it bringing down the value of their property or them having to deal with nuisances that they shouldn't have to deal with uh, but we'll see. I think they'll get it all figured out. I know it's still a pending city approval. I've personally never been. I'm actually going this weekend as I'm heading out of town, going to Jacksonville for the long weekend. And we're going to try the one out down there. Uh, I believe we have a reservation already. Um, I don't know if you've ever been or not, Farmer, but I've Yeah, I've been to a couple things. of them. They're, they're a good time. And I mean, they're not. So what I, what I don't understand is it's not like. I mean, yeah, they serve alcohol and they have drinks and, you know, they play, they play. So do bowling alleys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, there's so, St. Matthew's is like bar central. I mean, not necessarily where the, the neighborhood of Hurstbourne is a little further down, um, down in St. Matthew's down Shelbyville Road. But I mean, that's a pretty hopping happening part of town already. It's not like this is a little quiet community that is going to be shell shocked if they put something else over there. So I don't know. I, I think eventually that all all parties will be happy and and they'll get it all worked out. But you know, Louisville needs to. We need to start expediting some of these projects before we really get passed by by some of these surrounding cities. Yeah, I really didn't understand that, but I, I think that's something that I think that's going to be too good for the city for it not to happen. So I think they'll end up getting that ironed out. And I think once it's there, I think the people living there will probably realize that it wasn't as bad as maybe they thought if you go to the top golf website and you look at some of the cities that they have top golf in i mean louisville is better than a lot of the cities well i you know i would consider it to be a nicer city more stuff to do easier to get to uh than a lot of the cities that are on that list so the fact well, no, that we a big don't have thing was already is weather they were worried about, i think worried about if enough people would go because of the weather. Yeah, I mean, they have... Uh, I've been to one, actually, when it was probably... Not really cold, but maybe like four, like low mid-40s out. And they, they have like some heaters. They turn on like little infrared heaters above. And you're still outside, but those things put off some good heat. I mean, your food stays warm. I, it was not an issue at all when I went. We were there for a good two hours. And I I took a jacket and, and uh, you know, wore pants. I thought it was going to be pretty cold. And I was, I was out of the jacket and, and warm throughout the whole time and you're outside you don't even really know it well there you go So yeah i mean i i wouldn't use that as an excuse here yeah that i think that's something that 
we'll figure out and definitely something cool to do around Louisville that's for sure but uh like I mentioned earlier we had this Petrino Brom dilemma I know like you're starting to see um I guess the tide kind of turn on Petrino there I know just for example it's a big recruiting class here in the state of Kentucky Kentucky they've got about 15 16 17 high school juniors that'll be seniors next year that are all going to go play in the power five and really Louisville's not in recruiting wise is not in a great shape with a lot of them at this point it's looking like they might be lucky to grab two three four tops so anytime you had that much talent coming out of the state and you're not pulling those in it's a big worry and if Kentucky's you know Kentucky's kind of in a little bit of a same boat but they're in a little bit better position on more of the players than Louisville is so you've got those recruiting issues with Petrino and then I think he's really kind of uh, not sw- swinging a miss on some, these last two defensive coordinator hires. Of course, Ty Grantham went to Mississippi State, traded him for Peter Sermon. That was a total bust. And Louisville had a really bad defense last year. And now they're bringing in a guy by the name of Brian Van Gorder who was fired by Notre Dame in the middle of the 2016 season. So it looks like that's going to be another f- failed experiment. So that's, I think, part of the reason and then he had this past season for Louisville high expectations and the defense just fell apart and they lost games lost a home game to Boston College lost a road game to Wake Forest um, got smashed by Clemson at home and it, I think it just really kind of soured Louisville fans that they had this awesome offense but their defense let them down and Petrino went uh, I believe it was 8-5 and five this season 8-4 and four overall in the regular season then 4-4 four and four in the conference so you're looking at Petrino right now. He's only 34 and 18 since he returned to Louisville, but overall, in nine seasons, he's 75 or, or he's 75 and 27. He's interest is nine seasons. So eight seasons have passed. Five times Louisville's finished in the top 25. So five times in eight seasons, he's got you in the top 25. That's pretty good. And over it, I'd take that. Yeah, in a heartbeat. Yeah. So just. <laughs> Look, just in a, he's the best coach in program history. I know a lot, probably little fans would say Howard Schnellenberger. Um, Schnellenberger kind of gave him some decency, but he had, he was there for, I believe, nine, ten years, and he had a below 500 record. Um, he, he took him to a Fiesta Bowl, but other than that, it really wasn't much there for Schnelly when he, when he was here at the helm. And, of course, he did better than John L. Smith, the guy he was the offensive coordinator under. And then Charlie Strong had a nice little run, but for the most part, Petrino was better than Strong, and even Louisville fans were a lot more excited when Strong left and they brought Petrino back. So they're looking at the guy named Jeff Brom, who was Petrino's offensive coordinator while he was here at Louisville. Brom has done really well at Western Kentucky, won a couple Conference USA titles, uh, won a couple bowl games, and parlayed that into the Purdue job. And at Western, they scored a ton of points. And now at Purdue, he took a team that a lot of people – Said was probably a four and eight, three and nine team. He took them to six wins and a bowl win. Um, and he's really kind of considered an offensive guru in college football uh, as of right now. He's gonna, like we mentioned earlier, he could be getting a big time quarterback in Hunter Johnson if the Clemson transfer decides to go there. Have to sit out this season, but play in twenty nineteen. But that's got some people excited about what he might do. But my big question is, would Brom be that big of a step up from Petrino? First off. Petrino's making right around $4.5 million right now. Brom is making over three at Purdue. Purdue is totally invested in in making sure he succeeds. They can match any money 
Louisville could put on the table. And if Louisville does decide to fire Petrino, they'd have to pay him off and then pay the money for Brom. Brom's in a spot right now where if he keeps winning at Purdue, he could potentially get a Notre Dame job if that opened. It's something along those lines. Maybe even a Michigan job if Harbaugh leaves in the next three or four years. Maybe even the Ohio State job if he continues to win in the Big Ten and Urban decides to hang it up. He's in a spot where he could, if he continues to win, he can really take a big step forward. But as we saw in the CUSA this past year, Lane Kiffin went in there and just kicked everybody's ass. So maybe he was just in a coach in a conference with a bunch of bad coaches, and he just beat up on some other coaches. We're about to find out as the Big Ten West really develops. They've made some really good hires here lately. Of course, Wisconsin's got their their stuff rolling. You got Nebraska hired Scott Frost, and everybody expects big things out of him. PJ Fleck went undefeated at Western Michigan in 2016. He's at Minnesota now. Pat Fitzgerald over. Uh, exceeds expectations every year there at Northwestern. So that what was once an easy division may be a little trigger division. So if you hire Brom right away, you, you just don't know. So I think it's that the grass isn't always greener. That's what I would say. You're, you're betting, you're risking a lot if you force out a guy like Petrino who, you know, has a little slimy kind of, kind of background. It's obvious that he can't really hire a coaching staff as that he's got his son his son-in-law, two of his son-in-laws on his coaching staff. So, and it's just, it's he's struggling in recruiting, and I think that's a big worry that you could be super worried about his staff, but he's proven that he can find quarterbacks. He's got another one in Jawan Pass this year that's going to be pretty good. He's a kid that could have went to Alabama and played, and he's going to put up big numbers, and they're going to score points. So, I just... It's just a classic scenario. Be careful what you wish for. If they fired him and couldn't get Brom, I think that could really, really set back the program. And I think some fans are, might be calling for that this year, and I would just say pump the brakes. But when you look at a school like Kentucky, they, they're going to have that kind of scenario too here coming up. Because if Neil Brown has another big year, he's going to get a Power 5 job. And then Kentucky could find them in that kind of situation. And that's always tricky if you have a coach that – it's kind of succeeding or succeeding, but you have another coach that is one of you that played at Kentucky or played at Louisville, and is that doing really well at another school? You're afraid that you might have missed a really golden opportunity if you don't go and grab him. So, but for me, I just think Louisville. I think some of the Petrino. I've bashed Petrino as much as anybody, but I think some of the bashing he's taken lately is kind of unwarranted. I think the expectations may have been a little out of whack when they got into the ACC. Like, what did you expect? I think some people thought they'd be going to the playoff in two years. I mean, he had them in the playoff hunt once. They were a win at, against Houston and a win against Kentucky in 2016 away from going to the ACC championship game for a chance to make the playoff. And then, of course, he had that year in 2006 where if – if they don't, if they stop Rutgers, if Rutgers misses that field goal, they go on and they probably play in the national championship game against Ohio State. So he's had them in the mix. So I would just stay the course with him. I know it's kind of a weird time with Jurich out, but I would stay the course with Petrino. I think he's doing a good job. I just think he he is what he is, and maybe we're we're starting to see what the, this Louisville program ceiling is. Maybe it's just a seven eight win team there in the ACC. Maybe. When Florida State and Clemson have a down years, maybe you can have a good quarterback and then you can strike. I think that's the recipe for them. So take the eight, nine wins. Enjoy it. Enjoy the time. You've beaten Florida State two times. 
out of the last three years. And then the, or excuse me, two years in a row. So twice in four years since Petrino's been there. And you've been, you've gone nose to nose with them the other two years. You went to Clemson and played a national championship team down to the wire. But we're going to go ahead and wrap that up here. I did see real quick, uh, we got about a minute left here. Um, the uh, the odds for the 2018 U.S. Open came out, which we can talk more about this, but early predictions for the U.S. Open, what do you think? Oh, uh, I like, uh, what's Tiger going off at? Uh, Tiger's like 14 to 1, I think. That's not bad, that's not bad. Where's... Yeah, I mean, t- everybody, Tiger's hot, a, hot, a hot bet these days, but I just don't know if he can get over the hump and win. I think uh, I think a guy like Justin Rose is a pretty good pick, uh, twenty two to one. Uh, he's he's coming. He he has top top five. He actually won the U.S. Open in two thousand thirteen, and he's got top five, top ten finishes in uh, five majors since then. So I think he might crack in there at twenty two to one. I like a guy like Heinrich Stenson, who's a great ball striker, thirty three to one. And then my man Ricky Fowler is going to win one sooner or later. Yeah, if you keep betting him, you're going to be right soon. He's, he's fourteen dude. to one. I'd take him at fourteen to one over Tiger at fourteen to one any day. As long as he keeps knocking on the door, he'll knock it down eventually. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great Memorial Day weekend.